Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, my name is James Pywell and this is the 92 Podcast. I'm on a quest to speak to one fan from each of the 92 football teams that make up the Premier League, the Championship, League One and League Two. Each episode I'll shine a spotlight on a different club, talking to their fans, testing their knowledge and learning what it's like to be a supporter of their team and what makes supporting their club different from the rest. In this episode, the focus is on Premier League side Wolves. Every year the Warsaw uh, Twitter account tweets like, on this day, we, we beat Wolves <laughs> 1-0 at Montague. Like, it's a, but I mean, for them, it was their cup final, I suppose, but anybody can draw the badge. And that, to me, <laughs> is the key to a good football club. If you can, like, Man United, fantastic club, but you can't draw the badge. Same with Man City, Liverpool, really difficult badges to draw. Ours... You need, if you're three years old, you can draw the Wolves badge. Now, I don't know too much about Wolves, other than that they play in the Premier League and they have a lot of players from Portugal, which is why I'm joined on this episode by Tom from the Show Is Your Kit podcast. I'm sure he'll help us to learn more about the team and to share his own memories. Hello, Tom. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, James. Uh, yeah, nice of you to uh, invite me on. This Show Us Your Kit podcast is a little bit similar to this. I'm trying to collect shirts, hypothetically and you know virtually, of all the 92 teams so yeah nice to be on you mentioned there that you are the host of the show is your kit podcast has anybody ever asked you what your favorite football kit is no and yeah it's one that uh, it's very difficult to answer because there's i don't think it's as straightforward as i sort of make it seem or the other the 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 people that come onto my podcast make it seem very very straightforward and easy but yeah i've had so many good memories from, from various kits you know from my first kit in the early 90s to kits more recently where wolves have done really well and got into europe that have real special memories so yeah it's it's very very difficult and then you've got like the sort of i've got like a union berlin kit which you know i've never seen them play <laughs> in real life but it's a really cool kit so it's, it's very very difficult to sort of just put your finger on one kit in particular how long have you been a fan of Wolves then? So I was thinking about this this morning and I can't remember uh, you know, a particular time when I became a Wolves fan. It was always yeah. sort of omnipresent in my life. I remember when I was very, very young, I had a poster of, at the time, it, it didn't mean anything to me. It, it was just a Wolves player on my wall. But then I later found out that it was Kevin Keane, who <laughs> for Wolves fans, he, I think he only played one season perhaps at Wolves. So he's not a particular legend. And at the same time, we had Steve Bull and... You know, I don't really remember him playing too much. I did see his very last hat-trick. But I went to my first game in 1998, the week before Wolves played in the FA Cup semi-final against Arsenal, and only narrowly lost to the Arsenal, who went on to win the uh, the FA Cup that year. So my earliest memories of actual actually going to the games are of the late 90s kind of side, where we saw the emergence of Robbie Keane. Dean Richards was part of that team as well. Um other like sort of cult players they weren't necessarily great players but like Keith Curl Kevin Muscat uh players who have got you know history as not great players at the top level but had an impact in the championship Kevin Muscat in particular I know that you're a Grimsby fan I don't know if you can remember this game but 2002 when we should have been promoted and blew it against the Albion, he got sent off against Grimsby and cost us that game. And if we'd have won that game, <laughs> we'd, have, we'd have been promoted. So thanks to Grimsby for spoiling that <laughs> that season for us. But there was a few times when I had season tickets early on in, you know, sort of eight or nine years old and watching the likes of Adi Akinbae and George Ndar. 
but it wasn't really until sort of probably 10 years old. In fact, it was it was that season. I had a season ticket for the second half of the season where we blew promotion. We were something like 14 points clear of West Brom going into the last 10 games of the season. And they just kept on winning 1-0 every week. And we kept dropping points and losing. And they got promoted and we lost in the playoffs. And I remember being absolutely heartbroken uh, walking back to the car after losing to Norwich in the playoff uh, semi-final. But then the following season we got promoted. And then from there, it's just been... Every Saturday, that's what I've done. He's gone to the to the Wolves, and then more recently, I've gone home and away, and fortunately as well across Europe uh, to see a couple of games as well. So that's that's been very very positive. It's been a, a hell of a journey. You know, we've been up and down quite a lot in my twenty odd years of supporting them, but it's been it's been enjoyable, and I wouldn't change it. You mentioned that you you go to Wolves games home and away. What's the atmosphere like at Molyneux compared to some of the other stadiums you've been to? Personally, there's no other ground like Molyneux um, because it's not an it's not like an identical stadium. You know the the new ones that have been built since uh, Hillsborough, although it was redeveloped post Hillsborough. But we kept four separate stands, and they've got they've got four separate identities. The South Bank, you know, if you're watching on television, the stand to the right of the goal is sort of the loudest stand. They sort of, you know, we try to make it like our cop, I suppose. But they sing non-stop through the game. The stand that I sit in is sort of the the posher stand, if you will, the higher <laughs> class of stand, if you will. There's the slightly older people. It's quieter in there. It's the Billy Wright stand, but it's nicknamed the Billy Quiet stand. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's for the connoisseur of the game rather than the uh, the you know, louder sections. I don't like the the North Bank at the moment and how it looks. When it matched the South Bank before the redevelopment with Steve Morgan, which was ten years ago now, it you know it was a really good stadium because you had the battle between the North Bank and the South Bank. Even it was almost like you know that you see these ultras uh, abroad where they have two separate ultras within the same ground yeah. and they can't stand each other. It was almost like that. There was a lot of rivalry between the North and the South Bank. And then the only bad thing as well about the Molyneux is the way that the away fans are set out all the way across the one stand. Uh, it was when you watch it on television, immediately opposite the, the screen, you've got the whole of that bottom tier dedicated to the away fans. And it sort of, I think it gives them a bit of a boost because, you know, usually when you're away from home, you suck in the ball in one half of the game and then you have to sort of just watch you know, them attack the other end. Whereas we give them the sort of the whole uh, bottom half to cheer their team on. But it's location in terms of it's in the middle of a city. There's not many stadiums now that that is the case for. You know, I've travelled to lots of grounds and I think it's probably only maybe sort of Ipswich is the closest to a sort of city centre that I can remember. There will be others that are are closer to town centres. In terms of a city, you can come to Wolverhampton on the train, you can walk to the stadium, you can walk to the town centre and you can have a, a pretty good day out. I know that Wolverhampton's not the most attractive place to go to, but if you're coming for the football, you're coming for the pub and for the football. So there's not many places that can offer what Molyneux can. When it's full and when it's night game, you know, recently as well, we've had all these light shows and fireworks and stuff which has caught the attention of the media. I love it. I think it's it's what I've missed as well is just, just the crackle of a goal being scored. I know that people mentioned on Twitter as well last year when we played uh, Manchester City, Patricio saved a penalty and the limbs behind the goal for us saving a penalty, which eventually was disallowed because of VAR and then they retook it and scored. But the limbs behind the goal for that was the same as or better than other teams have for, for goals sometimes. So we're very passionate as a group of fans as well. 
we can't stand each other as well. If you're looking on Twitter at the minute, no Wolves fans can agree on anything. And it's very, very... It can get very, very toxic, and I've seen it get very, very toxic at Molyneux as well. But it's, it's well, it's the place that I've missed the most during this uh, last twelve months. Absolutely. So, what would you, what would you say is the best football match you've ever seen at Molyneux? Oh man, uh, <laughs> I've seen, I've seen some, I've seen some amazing games. Whenever we've beaten big teams, uh, particularly recently, the Man United quarterfinal of the FA Cup back in 2019, that is, I think, the best atmosphere that I've ever felt at Molyneux. Going to the game for a quarter-final, it was the first quarter-final that we'd had at Molyneux for years, like, in my whole lifetime. We'd never had that sort of bigger game. Uh, and then to win that game in the in the way that we did was, you know, brilliant. But looking further back, we've had a game against Leicester when we were 3-0 down at half-time in the Premier League and we won 4-3. That was under Dave Jones, 2003. And that was actually the last time any Premier League team was 3-0 down and then won the game. So that's quite a, a record that we like to boast about. But the one that sticks out for me was when we were actually in League One uh, in 2014. We were playing against Rotherham. I think we were already promoted. We'd already been promoted the weekend before. It was Easter sort of time. The game finished 6-4 to Wolves <laughs> and there were two hat-tricks scored in the game. Nua Dicko scored one for Wolves and uh, Kieran Agar, I think his name was, for Rotherham, scored a hat-trick as well and it was just end-to-end. We were 4-1 up, then went 4-4 and then Sam Rickett scored his first goal for Wolves and one of the best goals I've ever seen to make it 5-4 and then there was a pitch invasion. Hmm. Then we made it 6-4 and there was another pitch invasion but in between those two pitch invasions somebody hit the side netting and there was another pitch invasion so it was quite entertaining uh, afternoon as well and the sun was shining brightly. It was a beautiful day and then to see 10 goals in a game. I don't think I've ever seen 10 goals in a game aside from that game. It was such a special... I mean... I know that Sunderland fan in the previous episode was sort of bemoaning his time in League One. Yeah. But for a big team, if you can just dip down for one season and have, you know, the season that we had, we were very, very lucky that we had the right manager at the right time and we blew that league away very, very easily and had some amazing days home and away. It was a very special season. But yeah, I could I could list off 10, 15 games at Molyneux easily that have been... <laughs> you know the best ever uh, and they've all there's been a big group of these games that have happened recently as well under Nuno just because of the the like, change in the identity of the the club as well has been this sort of never say die attitude and it's led to some really positive turnarounds and some really good results so i mentioned it in the introduction there about one of the things that people associate walls with especially recently is the amount of players from portugal what what is your opinion on that? I think I'm I'm growing personally. I'm growing a little bit tired of it now, yeah. Because there are better options for players elsewhere. Uh, I was listening to a Wolves podcast this morning. They were talking. So we we need a new left back now. Johnny's out for. He's got another ACL injury, so he's not going to come back the same player that he was previously. Yeah. So automatically. Your head goes to, right, well, we better look at the Portuguese league and see who Porto's <laughs> left-back has been for the last season or so. Whereas, actually, somebody like Charlie Taylor at Burnley would be a perfect fit. He's British as well. And that's another thing. We've Apart from Conor Cody and Morgan Gibbs-White, we haven't got any English players in the squad and you've got to have this quota now. So we've got to, we've got to look closer to home. And there is some really top talent as well in the Championship that we'd never look at now because of our link with George Mendes. The relationship is that he, I don't know, the, his company has 
I think our owners have a stake in his company, in Gestafood, the, the agency. Yeah. So obviously, you're going to use that agency you know, when we need players. But it does seem that all our players come through that same, you know, that same path. And it's now turning to, like we saw Diogo Jota leaving because George Mendes has got to make a little bit of money from selling Wolves players eventually. He's not going to just keep on giving us gems over and over and over again. We're going to have to sell players, otherwise that relationship will end. There needs to be something in it for him as well. We've got some top players that we would have never been able to attract if we hadn't have had uh, George Mendes. Like Ruben Neves is one of the best players I've ever seen uh, playing for Wolves. Jota as well, when he was at his best, was unplayable. But I do just want to see a little bit more variety in, in the in the players that we get. And watching us playing last night as well in that Portuguese strip, it's it's a little <laughs> bit of a piss take, really. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't really like it at all. And I think, but it's become our identity. But I think it's becoming a little bit stale now as well. That uh, you know, to have a big group, it it works for periods of time. We saw like Arsenal in the nineties with all the French players that came in worked for a brief period of time for four or five years. It has a, a sort of time scale on it, but. Our manager's Portuguese as well, so perhaps that's the reason why he's got a preference for Portuguese players himself. I, just, I can't see it lasting for too much longer anyway. So, who are some of your favourite players from Wolves, past and present? They don't have to be Portuguese. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, presently, I've mentioned uh, Neves. Yeah. Uh, Moutinho as well, I think he's one of the best bargains of any uh, Premier League signing. £5 million he cost. Plus, apparently, some Bitcoin, but that's only a rumour. <laughs> Looking back, pre- I mean, it's so weird to think about the group of players that we've got now to sort of the previous generation of players when you're looking at players like Dave Edwards and Danny Bart and Sam Ricketts. That's kind of, it's so, it's been such a quick turnaround from having that group of players because I love Dave Edwards. I get laughed at by most Wolves fans for that, but he was such a reliable player. And being a Wales fan as well, to have somebody who went and represented, you know, Wales at the Euros in 2016 and played a small role in their success in that season, in that campaign, was really nice. But he was, we used to, we nicknamed him Dangerous Dave because he was, (laughs) he wasn't brilliant, but he would score 10 goals a season. And he he would contribute a lot, and he was a hard worker, and he was you know I think a pretty good leader as well, which is you know in a team that's meandering around the championship in League One, you need somebody who's going to take the game by scruff of the neck and uh, and do something, and you know despite his lack of ability, he used to run like mad. I used to like David a lot, but looking further back, Alex Ray, I used to like that was when we were first in the uh, in the Premier League. Lee Naylor as well used to work really really hard as well so they're all personal choices the the ones that perhaps you will be aware of as a neutral fan will be the likes of joe lescott uh, yeah. matt jarvis ebanks blake when we were in the championship as well scoring 50 goals over two seasons incredible matt murray as well i think the greatest goalkeeper to never play for england such a tragedy with his injuries he genuinely because of the period of time that he would have been at his peak was in for that 2010 World Cup, which was a complete disaster in terms of goalkeepers. Matt Murray would have been the England number one. I've no doubt about that, and it's such a shame. I think he only ever played a hundred games for Wolves or something, which is tragedy. He just didn't have any legs. They were made of poppadoms. Going further back, my first memories. I used to love Andy Sinton, who we only had for a season or so, but he was such a nippy little winger. Uh, and then. Yeah, I can remember Robbie Keane playing as a 16, 17-year-old as well, very, very briefly. And I remember being sad that he'd left. And Don Goodman was probably my first favourite player 
he left Wolves to move to Hiroshima, believe it or not, <laughs> before moving back to Warsaw. <laughs> but I remember being very, very sad when he left in about 97 or 98. Yeah, you, I, I don't know what it is. I just like players that try hard. And at the moment, because they're so classy, we haven't got too many players that try really hard. Uh, they don't have to because they're so good. So the natural question to ask after asking you about your favourite players is about the ones that you've seen playing for Wolves that you didn't particularly like. Is is there many mm. of those? Uh, yes, there are quite <laughs> a few. Well, as you can imagine, you know, for a team that was very ordinary for a very long period of time, yeah. I can name whole 11s of teams who were, <laughs> you know, <laughs> who I'd rather never see in a in a Wolf shirt again. The standout player for any one of my generation of a Wolves fan will be uh, Thomas Mikowski who scored a goal for Poland against England and then we signed him off the back of that and he was going to be, uh, this was when Glenn Hoddle was the manager in 2004-05 sort of time and we were just lacking this goal scorer who was going to take us to the Premier League. We had various players who sort of looked like they had a bit of something about them but they never was consistent enough to you know, to get us there yeah. and he was signed, I don't know how much he was signed for but it, was, it would have been... A couple of million, I suppose. And at the time, that was quite a lot of money for a championship team, for a striker. He just could not hit a cow's ass with a banjo. He was absolutely <laughs> awful. I remember one time he took the ball around the goalkeeper, very much like that famous Fernando Torres miss for Chelsea yeah. at United, when he took it around the goalkeeper. And he just thought, well, surely this is the moment he's going to put it away. And he still manages to put it wide or something. You just think, well, that's it. And I think if you look at his career, I think he had... a Fairly decent record everywhere else, but just could not score for Wolves. And I don't know, but the fact that he was billed as this missing piece of jigsaw that player that he was going to take us to the next level, but he was atrocious. We've had some terrible loan signings as well. Strikers, we were always short of a striker all the time. Um, apart, from, there was one period where we had Ebanks, Blake, and Iwulumo, and then Keo as a backup. So that was a pretty solid period, but. When we've been relegated previously, we've had like Grant Holt as a striker. It was terrible because this was after his Norwich pomp. Yannick Sagbo. I don't know if you remember him, but <laughs> there'd be no reason to remember him. He was awful. Leon Clark, when he came back for his second spell at Wolves, it was just atrocious. I think he scored two goals in about 40-odd appearances. Despite So we when we signed him, it was between him and Callum Wilson, who was scoring goals for fun at Coventry. And we went for... Leon Clark and Bournemouth went for Callum Wilson and the rest is history they got promoted very easily with him and we struggled there's been some terrible terrible players over the time there was, so again when I talk about my first match uh, being the week before the FA Cup final, uh, semi-final for some reason Mark McGee who was the manager at the time just signed loads of players any player that he could get his hands on he just signed so he had like Robbie Slater, Steve Claridge, anybody who had ever scored a Premier League goal, I think, was signed for Wolves for that FA Cup semi-final. Where, but we had Robbie Keane and Steve Bull on our books, and they just sat on the bench for that semi-final. And every Wolves fan thinks that you know, had they have played, we'd have won. I mean, it's not as simple as that, obviously. You know, against the great Arsenal team of the late nineties, but things could have been different had we have not signed all these ridiculous players in the past. So, football in the West Midlands, you've obviously got plenty of teams around there, but your biggest rivalry is with West Brom. Obviously, there's also, you know, Aston Villa in close proximity to. What What do you make of those rivalries? Well, so growing up, it was actually Blues who I hated the most, Birmingham yeah. City, purely because it was a competitive rivalry and they always tended to be going against us for promotion places or just you know not be relegated from the Premier League. Whereas Albion, although they we can't stand each other, we haven't played each other, you know, apart from the 
this season where there's been no fans in the grounds anyway. We haven't played them for the best part of a decade. So it, I, I struggle to hate Albion as much as I yeah. perhaps should. Villa as well has been a weird one because up until recently they were far better than us. They were you know top six in the Premier League all the time and we were mid-table in the Championship. So they were never really competitive rivalries. But then, again, because of them going for promotion from the Championship the same season that we did, there was a lot of mind the gap, a lot of teasing. We beat them at Molyneux, and then they absolutely smashed us at Villa Park, but we still got promoted, and they didn't that season. But yeah, I quite enjoy it. I'd, I've never seen you know serious trouble at any sort of local derbies. I like the banter you know, at work and stuff with rival fans. It's re- I think that because of where we are, and there've been so many teams uh, as well. There's always some. You always work with somebody who supports a different team, and it's always fairly light-hearted. Although, you know, I cannot stand to see any other Midlands team do well. <laughs> Even Warsaw, like Warsaw, when we were down in League One, they beat us at Molyneux, and then we smashed them away. But they still, every year, the Warsaw uh, Twitter account tweets like, "On this day, we <laughs> we beat Wolves one 0 at Molyneux." <laughs> like it's a, but I mean for them it was their cup final, yeah. I suppose. But I really like it, and it, I don't think there's anywhere else in the country, perhaps aside from London, that has so many teams in close proximity. Uh, they're all relatively successful, but I mean, apart from Birmingham City, they've only ever won the League Cup. Uh, if you look back to the sort of 60s, Wolves and Albion fought out a title between the two of them one season. And it was, you know, imagine that coming back. There's been times when there's been four Midlands teams in the Premier League as well. Yeah. And then there's been times when there's only been Wolves. Uh, it was sort of, well, I don't class Leicester as a Midlands team either, even though you know, technically they're East Midlands, but they're too far away really to have any sort of rivalry with. But yeah, I've missed the sort of blood and thunder of an old-fashioned black country derby or a Midlands derby with blues. But they were really good games as well. Maybe not the, technically the most you know, pleasing on the eye, but they were proper football matches, which you don't tend to get many of those anymore. Is there any other teams, aside from you know Albion, Villa, Birmingham and Walsall, that you yourself really cannot stand? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't like Chelsea at all. A friend of mine there who I do another podcast with is a Chelsea fan. And I just I can't stand. They were the first of the sort of like plastic teams yeah. that were bought by these billionaire owners and then just filled with superstars. And I can imagine that you know if you were a Chelsea fan for years, then that's quite an exciting thing to happen. I can imagine as well. There's quite a few uh, supporters of other clubs who look at Wolves in the same kind of light now that we've got got money and we're signing players in a particular fashion and people don't like it and it's it's not popular. So Chelsea don't like. For some reason, Norwich hate Wolves. I don't know why. <laughs> I think it goes. It's either because Kevin Muscat broke Craig Bellamy's leg back in the 90s, or there's something from the 70s, some FA Cup match or something like that, where there's a proper derby kind of feel about it. But yeah, I don't, I don't have the same sort of feeling for Norwich, but for some reason, they can't stand us. Uh, who else do I not like? Cardiff, I don't like really at all, but that's because. Uh, so my family come from South Wales and they were Swansea fans. Uh, so naturally then you, you are brought up to not like Cardiff. But Wolves and Cardiff have had a bit of a rivalry as well in the past. Again, I don't know where it stems from because I suppose Cardiff don't have many rivalries at all. Bristol, I suppose, is their, apart from Swansea, is their closest one and they haven't been in the same division all the time. So perhaps the Midlands teams have been there 
the next one. But yeah, apart from that, there's, I'm just trying to think as a fan base if there's any that we don't get on with at all. But I don't know. I think we nobody particularly likes Wolves, I don't think, from the outside. Although we're sort of starting to become a bit of a hipster choice for teams because of, or for, you know, for neutrals or for new fans or for foreigners, they, they do tend to like Wolves because of our, our badge and our unique kit colour as well. But... No, there's not many other clubs that I don't like at all. Apart, well, Crystal Palace is a pain to get to. I don't like, <laughs> I don't like that, and it's a horrible ground. But they're they're fine as a club. I mean, I've got nothing against them. So we've discussed what it's like to be a fan. Now it's time for us to test your knowledge. You're going to have five questions about Wolves and five questions about football in the '92 in general. Are you any good at okay. this kind of quiz? Oh well, ask me at the end. <laughs> I always think, I always think with Wolves trivia that I'm pretty good, and then people will say, you know, people will throw me a question. I've got real blind spots from where I've not been to games or had a season where I've not been to as many, and I just I can't remember certain things. So if you ask me the right questions, I'll be uh, I'll be okay. I think these ones are teetering on the easy side this time. So okay. Okay. We'll see how you do. So question one: What shirt number does Nelson Semedo wear? Oh God. Uh, I think I think it's 22, is it? It is. Phil Brown returned to manage which League Two side for a second time this week? Uh, I don't know if they're in League Two now, but I, d- I think he managed South End in the past, so I'm going to go for South End. It is South End. Oh, yes. Who scored the only goal for Wolves last time they faced Fulham before last night? Uh, Pedro Neto. It was. Which Man City player signed a new deal to keep him at the club until 2025 last week? I did see this one as well. This was Kevin De Bruyne. It was. Ruben Neves signed for Wolves in 2017 from what Portuguese club? Uh, he signed from Porto. Can I get a bonus point for the cellular fee? Yeah, go on then. It was £15.8 million. Pounds. Very precise. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Which team plays their games at the New York Stadium? Uh, that's Rotherham United, isn't it? It is. Cristiano Ronaldo was the first Portuguese player to score a hat-trick in the Premier League. Which former Wolves player was the second? Uh, Jota. Was. Against Leicester. Another bonus point. <laughs> <laughs> Who is the current longest-serving Premier League manager? Oh, how long do I get for this question? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think. Uh, oh, it's got to be Sean Dyche, isn't it? It is, Sean, yes. Yeah. Wolves were the first team in the Football League to be awarded what in September 1891? Oh, uh, is it a penalty? It is, yes. And your final question, Derby hold the record for the lowest ever points tally in the Premier League. How many points did they get? It was 11 points. It was. So you got 10 out of 10, add on your oh. two bonus points, so you actually yeah. got 12 out of 10, well done. Were you? <laughs> I'll take that. So I'll ask you again now, how do you tend to fare in quizzes? Excellent. (laughs) Better than perfect. So let's move on to talking a little bit about this season then. How would you rate how the season's gone so far? Very poor. Very underwhelming. We've been very unfortunate as well uh, with injuries. And I think you've asked me about Molyneux as well as a ground earlier on. It's been a huge factor this year being behind closed doors. We've particularly when we've been the underdogs for the last two seasons I know that we finished seventh both years but we've been the underdogs in 60% of the games that we've played and we've won games that we would not have won if we didn't have the backing of the crowd that's been a huge factor this season everybody knows about Raul Jimenez and his injury and that has been the biggest factor I think at that at the point where he got injured we had 20 points and we were in sixth place we've now just about 
after, I don't know, we've played 32 games now, 31 games. We've just about got to 38 points. I think he was injured after about 10 games of the season, something like that. So, you know, you can't replace that with, I think we've had, he was still our top scorer as well until recently. You you know, yeah. it's been a huge miss this season. But more so than that, Johnny at left back, we missed him for the first half of the season. Uh, he's come back for probably... 10 games and now he's done his ACL again so he he won't be playing for a long time but we've tried to change shape and things like that through the season we've had a, such a long season last year it, well I think it is now a record that it was 13 months or something like that we started in July 2019 and finished in August 2020 which is a ridiculous another there were three months in it where we, we didn't play football at all but the the European uh, campaign has started to take its toll this season, whereas everybody was saying that last season it would take its toll. But when games are coming thick and fast, the players weren't really thinking about it. They were just playing and playing and playing. Then they didn't have a pre-season at all. I think there was something like 11 days. We've had gaps in this season between fixtures that have been longer than that, which is ridiculous, really. I don't know why the Premier League decided to, you know, to just start the season like the way they did. They should have left it a month or so, given teams the chance to rest. Because although they did have three months off, they weren't off in that time. The players didn't know when they were coming back. They had to keep themselves match fit throughout that whole period because they thought, you know, at the drop of a hat, they could be playing. I'm hoping that we can get. Well, we're we're safe now. The re, the result uh, against Fulham the other night has made us pretty much mathematically safe. It's going to be a a hell of a turnaround if we do manage to get relegated from this point. <laughs> but I just want to get this season done. Perhaps they can do a little bit of experimentation and things like that for the remaining six games or whatever it is. And there's a lot of young players who we've, who we have got uh, either obligations to buy or uh, options to buy that we haven't seen. Uh, Vitinha, who played uh, for Portuguese uh, under-21s recently against England and was amazing by all accounts, but he's barely played a minute for us, which is, you know, we, you know, as fans, we can't sort of back the signing of him for £20 million when we haven't seen him at all. Yeah. He might be the best player that we've ever seen, but we, just, we haven't seen him. We've tried to change, as I said, tried to change shape, so we've consistently played three at the back or five at the back however you look at it for the last three years under Nuno we're really really negative and defensive when we play in that way we pick up results clearly you know we've won the championship and we've finished seventh twice but then to go forward you need to have that extra man in midfield but we, our defenders are just not good enough at all Connor Cody I know he's got into the England squad this this season but he's not capable of playing in a back four and people will say well he did for England yeah but against San Marino I yeah. could play in the back four <laughs> against San Marino he's very very good as a sweeper in that middle of a back three but we've got to evolve we've got to progress now in the summer there's rumours about how much money or the lack of money that might be available to uh, the manager in the summer because Fosun our owners are an investment firm and they've got lots and lots of money invested into things like Club Med Thomas Cook so obviously they'd have lost a lot of money over the last uh, 12 months because yeah. nobody's been going away and they're going to have to recoup some money from selling players and unfortunately the rumours are that it would be the likes of Neto Neves and Traore who are sold to raise funds for new players to come in and it is the sort of period of time that you'd expect the sort of lifespan of a squad four seasons under the same manager doesn't happen very often now in football really no. uh, to have that length of time with the same players so I am expecting there to be 
a change in the summer. I don't think the manager will go. He's only just signed a new contract and he's like a messiah here as well. So I've no doubt that he will be at the heart of everything that comes next. But it's going to be it's going to be another transitional year. And I put your money on Wolves to not do very well next year as well. I think it'd be bottom half of the table again. But the the owners have very very lofty ambitions. They want to win the Premier League by 2025, so they're going to have to get their skates on in the next <laughs> couple of years. But the, it's sort of been the the transfer policy of the last 12 months is to sign young players. Fabio Silva has come in for 35 million pounds or something like that, having played one game of senior football before he came to Wolves. He hasn't shown a lot of promise personally. I don't think he looks. You know, very athletic. <laughs> it's all when he runs. He doesn't look like a footballer, but he did score a really good goal against West Ham the other night. Um, he set up the goal as well last night. So I'm, I'm hopeful that he will start to grow into a you know, bulk up a little bit. He's only 18, yeah. but that's the kind of uh, way that we're going. Is we're not buying instant success. We're growing, and even if it is, you know, Fabio Silva might become the best player, and we sell him for 70, 80 million in a couple of years' time when he's matured. I think we're still at that really awkward stage of a transition from a very ordinary team into a great team where you do have to sort of let go of some of your favoured personnel for the short term, for long term games. And we've seen that with Jota, Doherty as well, been at the club for years and years and years and has gone on to Spurs and has not done very well. So it's it's a difficult, it's been a very difficult season as well just to be at home and to have every game shown on the television. I don't know what it's like for, for you guys lower down the leagues, but it seems like, the, it's, I don't know, I'm, it's, I'm finding it very, very difficult to sort of get myself up to watch these games uh, at the moment, particularly the way where we are on the table. There's no real context to the games. We can't win anything. We can't get relegated. Yeah. So it just sort of seems like you're obliged to watch it because you're a Wolves <laughs> fan, but there's no enjoyment there at the minute at all. So looking ahead to next season, then, are there any players that you'd like to see come in? Obviously, every every football fan will say they want to see like the Ronaldos and the Messis, but mm. what realistic players would you like to see come in for Wolves? Well, I'm always hopeless at this when people ask me, like, give me some specific <laughs> names. But I can tell you that we need a new defence. We need two new centre-backs and we need a top-quality centre-back. We were linked a couple of years ago. I think when we first came to the Premier League, we were linked with Ruben Diaz. Yeah. And they were saying, and Wolves were saying, oh, well, you're not paying fifty million pounds for a centre back. But you know, now look at him. You know, there's a reason why he's that kind of money. And uh, so we, we definitely need a, a world class centre back, and we're going to have to pay for it. And whether that's through selling Neves or Traore, somebody somebody like that to raise a bit of money. We need a centre back. We need a midfielder as well, creative midfielder. But again, like I've just mentioned now, Vitinha. Uh, again, I think he's only nineteen, something like that. And he's quite creative and uh, exciting football to watch, apparently. We haven't seen enough of him. <laughs> uh, so it might be that he just comes in. But Moutinho is now uh, 35, I think he is, 36. And he's starting to look it. Whereas last season and the season before, he was really good. And he would very, very rarely give the ball away. And he's very reliable. Now he's he's very, very shaky. And we can we need to improve on him. And a striker as well. So basically, a new core of the team. We need to, you know, through the middle of the pitch, we need players. Because although Jimenez has recovered and will play again, there was a point where it looked like he might never play again with a head injury like that. We saw yeah. like Ryan Nelson years ago. They, they can recover and they, and they might not. But he's not going to play this season, but it's likely that he'll go to the, the Olympics with Mexico, which is a good sort of uh, test for his fitness. And hopefully he gets through that. And then, But you can't 
rely on him to come back as the same player that he was when he got injured. No. We need to have somebody who's going to be able to score at least 10 goals in a season. But that's why we've struggled as well this year because you know it took, it took Jimenez, scores 15 goals a season. Jota chips in with about 10. They've both gone and we haven't replaced them with anything. Hopefully Neto stays and improves on this season. He's only scored five goals. You'd hope that he would double that next season. It's going to be a, it's a transition. I always look at Leicester as well at the minute. So they won the league five years ago. Everybody knows that. But that was a complete freak of a season. Yeah. It's taken them these five seasons now to get back up to that level consistently. They would have finished in the top four last year had things been normal. They will this year. And they've built a you know solid squad, one of the best squads in the Premier League, I think, outside the top two. And that they that's what we need to sort of model ourselves on. Yeah, we will lose the odd top player, like the, they lost Mares and Kante, but we'll keep on building and growing for the next few years. So we are one to watch, but not in the immediate future. So if you had to put together an all-time Wolves eleven of players that you've personally seen yourself, mm. who would be in that team? Right, that's a good question. Right then, let me have a think. Uh, so, Sungi's praise is like mad uh, today, earlier on. So, Matt Murray will go in goal for me, yeah. as he was England's greatest number one to never play for England. Joe Lescott will be my centre-back, alongside Willie Bolly. Uh, so, Lescott, we saw as a teenager come through the Wolves ranks, and you know you could tell from day one that he was a he was going to play for England he was going yeah. to be a top Premier League defender Willie Bolly as well when he played in the championship it was like having a cheat code in a computer <laughs> game because he was so good he read the he just sort of he used to stand there for ages doing nothing and then all of a sudden the ball would get played towards him and he just he would read it three or four seconds before the def- the attacker had ever seen it and he would just you know nick nick the ball every single time so they're my two centre backs okay so I've got the luxury of uh, being able to pick Dennis Irwin, who was both left and right back. So I'm going to put him at left back <laughs> and then Matt Doherty on right back. Doherty was hoped for years and years and years until Bruno came in and turned him into this uh, right wing back. And then all of a sudden he became really creative and it, I think he became a vegan as well, which helped him lose loads <laughs> of weight. And stuff. It, just, yeah. it was really amazing to see the change in him. Uh, so him and Cody, since Nuno came in, have been complete revelation so but unfortunately Cody's not good enough as a centre-back to get into my team uh Irwin as well was the missing piece to get us into the Premier League him and Paul Ince came in for free very very you know old <laughs> players at the time Irwin only signed a one-year contract but then because we got promoted he decided to stay on but he had like arthritis in his knees for that uh Premier League season he never trained or anything he just used to turn up and he was in agony apparently he's like his toes and stuff all seized up it was Awful to see, uh, but he was a, such a great player still. You can tell, you know, he had a footballing brain and mind that he could read the game better than anybody else in our team. In centre midfield, and I've gone for Ruben Neves and Alex Ray. So Alex Ray is the kind of player that we're missing at the minute, actually. He's like a proper box-to-box. What does somebody describe him as? Like a snotter on a podcast the other day. <laughs> like somebody who's just going to get a yellow card every game, get stuck in yeah. Uh and you know, getting in with a mess, we don't really have that at the minute. So Alex Ray would actually improve our team. And he scored one of the best Premier League goals anybody's ever scored. It was a volley against Bolton from miles and miles out that you know nestled in the top corner. So we've got two players in midfield who are good for a worldie. Neves as well scored some of the best goals I've seen uh, at Molyneux in the last uh, in the last four years since he's been at the club. 
the one against Derby. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's worth checking out on YouTube. All the crowd shout, shoot. And then when he puts, <laughs> but he's so far out that everyone sort of groans that he has actually shot. Yeah. And then he goes in, and you look at the faces behind the goal when they show that replay, and it's you know just astounding. You know, I've actually got a framed picture of that goal on my wall. <laughs> That's how much I love it. <laughs> so the wingers, I've actually gone for two wingers who played together during Mick McCarthy's era. So I've gone for Michael Kitely, who we signed from uh, Gray's Athletic, but in the conference for I think we had him on trial or something, and then we signed him for nothing at all. And he could have played for England as well. He played for the under-21s a few times and was so unfortunate with injuries that he just never could play consistently in the Premier League. He had all sorts of nickels and stuff, which is such a shame. But then on the other side, is the he did actually get a cap for England, only one, but Matt Jarvis, who used to play on the left, but was only he could only ever use his right. So it was the same trick every time. <laughs> he used to run down left-hand side, cut in, and then would either shoot or cross with his right foot. But he was... Such a, a top, top player for Wolves. Strikers, again, one for one from the current era. Jimenez from the current era. I think I underestimated him as a player until this season when we've not had him. You've yeah. really been able to tell what he does to this team and how good he is. Like Adama Traore can whip balls in. He's, he hasn't changed in terms of his uh, crossing ability, but he's not the best crosser in the world. But Jimenez works so hard to either predict where the ball is going to go or move to where the ball ends up that that's how their combination worked it's not because Traore is great it's because Jimenez is amazing he's like a mind reader and then Ebax Blake for that couple of seasons in the championship there was nobody like him at all we signed him for one and a half million because that was the price that Plymouth Argyle had put on his head as sort of like a release clause and we were the first team to notice this and to snap him up and we uh, he was unbelievable but then never really did it in the Premier League I think he was injured the summer before the Premier League season started for us. Lost his place to Kevin Doyle and then never really got back into the groove at all. But a really enjoyable player to watch. So the final thing that we always get our guests to do now is pitch your team. So if you've got to pitch Wolves to somebody who Mm. maybe is new to football, how would you pitch it to them? Well, there's loads of things. Loads and loads of things. So, like I mentioned, with sort of the hipsters' choice at the minute for the the football manager sort of legends that we're signing. So, if you played football manager previously, you know Ruben Neves was always a player that would become a wonder kid. Jota as well, I think the same. So, we, we've got that sort of uh, attraction if that's what you're into. We've got loads of money as well. So, if that's what you're into, um, <laughs> we're gonna, we're going to be buying the Premier League soon enough. Uh, then we've got. We've got a tradition as well. So even if you know if you're not into hipster stuff, if you're a traditionalist, we've got some incredible history. We've won the first division three times. We were the pioneers of European football. If it wasn't for Wolves, we wouldn't have the Champions League today. The floodlit friendlies in the 1950s, uh, first ground to have floodlights, and therefore we invited over Honved, who I know are not the greatest team in the world now, but they were the <laughs> Hungarians of the 1950s who beat England 6-3. Uh, Wolves then beat them, pretty much the same team. Uh, so Wolves were hailed as the champions of the world, and then Real Madrid and uh, Barcelona, Juventus, etc., all saw this newspaper article and came to challenge Wolves. So that's you know, quite a historical part of football that Wolves play a part in. We've also had our ups and downs. So we've been with the, I think we were the first team. I think somebody else has done it since, but we were the first team to win every single division. So we've won 
from the first to the fourth tier in football. We've won the LDV, what was it called at the time? Not the LDV Vans, it was called the uh, Sherpa Van Trophy. So we've won, we've won everything. We've won the League Cup, we've won the FA Cup, we've won the LDV. So I think that we're the only team to have completed everything. There's no other team yeah. who's done what Wolves have done. But also, just as a complete outsider, and what attracts children to support Wolves as neutrals is... The colour of our kit is not like anybody else. It's not the same as Hull. They play in amber. We play in old gold, which doesn't exist as a colour. So it's really difficult to get a shirt that actually looks old gold. That's why we play in orange, basically. The badge, you can draw the badge. Anybody can draw the badge. And that, to me, (laughs) is the key to a good football club. If you can, like Man United, fantastic club, but you can't draw the badge. Same with Man City, Liverpool, really difficult badges to draw. Ours... You need, if you're three years old, you can draw the Wolves badge. And also, if you're into, you know, a day out for the football, one of the only city centre football clubs left. So, come to Wolves. There we go. Perfect pitch for Wolves there. So, uh, just before we go, we mentioned at the start, you're the host of your own podcast show, Is Your Kit. Would you like to just tell us a little bit about that and where we can find it? Yeah, so, during the first lockdown, 12 months ago now, I was sitting there buying shirts on eBay pretty much every day. And I thought, I wonder if anybody else is doing this. I spoke to a couple of friends of mine. So I've been doing, doing YouTube for the last four years or so and built up quite a following yeah. of uh, just reviewing Wolves games and stuff, which has become quite tedious to do now. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I thought I was trying to do something else, trying to do something different. So I spoke to loads of Wolves fans initially about their favourite kits and they eventually sort of get down to this kind of chat anyway about you know your favorite memories and favorite players yeah. but we've had some really interesting stories with memorabilia as well so um an ipswich town fan brought on a photograph i think it was of him on the nottingham forest team bus for brian clough's final <laughs> ever game it's amazing uh, wow. amazing story so this it's been very interesting as well to talk to different people about their clubs and you know you sort of see the same passion that you've got for your own club mirrored in other people and it's it's quite a, a flattering thing as well. It's something that I so then I I picked it back up again in this second lockdown and did I don't know twelve episodes or something in a couple of weeks. I find it quite exhausting. I don't know how many of these that you do uh, you know close together, but once you've done two or three. It does become a little bit jading to sit there and to yeah. <laughs> to listen listen to people and <laughs> ask questions and stuff on the back of it. It does become quite difficult. You can follow Lion Acast and everything uh, shows your kit. Uh, so yeah, go and check that out. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Tom, for uh, agreeing to come on to the podcast and good luck to Wolves for the rest of the season. Thank you very much. Same to Grimsby. Thanks again to Tom for talking to us and of course thank you for listening. If you'd like to help me on my quest to speak to at least one fan from each of the clubs in the 92 and talk all about your club, you can find us on Twitter at the92podcast or email us the92podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe or follow the podcast so that you don't miss an episode. Next time I'll be talking to another fan from another club in the 92. See you then.